Welcome to the Church Times podcast. Try 10 issues for £10 or two months access to our website and apps also for £10. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash new hyphen reader. Hello, this is Sarah Merrick with the Church Times podcast. This week I'm talking to the Reverend Richard Coles about his retirement from parish ministry and his new chapter as a novelist. We're here to talk about your new book. And I just wanted to start by asking where the idea came from. I mean, you've obviously written non-fiction. Why fiction and why this genre? Well, I've always loved crime fiction. First proper book I had, bought for me by my grandfather, was the Sherlock Holmes short stories. So the idea of disrupted worlds being put to rights by enigmatic people in Deerstalkers. It appealed to me. So in fact, when I was a boy, I made my parents buy me a Deerstalker. I used to walk around in it like an idiot. Um, it didn't go down so well in Kettering in the 1970s, but there you go. And then I think anyone who's been in parish ministry will, you find your the life of a parish priest is in some ways maps onto that of a detective because you're kind of looking at the exterior of things and for disruptions in the pattern and wondering what that might tell you about what's going on underneath, I think. I was interested as well in the time period, so it's not contemporary. Is it 19, 1980s? Is yeah, 1988. Yeah. Yep. And it started why then? 1988. Yeah. But partly because I couldn't be bothered to write around the complications of mobile phones and CCTV and everything, which makes clandestine murder so difficult these days. Yeah. But it was um, it's really because I'm sort of interested in the decade because I was had a I was very busy in it. But also I'm particularly interested in the sort of long bake around traumatic experience. And I spent quite a bit of time in ministry dealing with people who 30, 40 years after events have returned to them to try to understand what it did to them. And um, at the end of the 80s, of course, that was people who'd fought in the Second World War, experienced the disruptions of war. And I was, you know, I was fascinated by that. And just talking to veterans from the British Legion about how those kind of world-shaking conflicts and the terrible sacrifices that they demanded of people, what that did to them when they came home, you know? Yes, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because I think a lot of my understanding of a lot of people coming back from the war was not only did they not have the language in which to articulate it, but it felt um, in that if they had survived, it felt that actually talking about trauma was was sort of selfish because at least they'd come home. I don't know if you met that. Yeah, but what, what, what I found actually was quite often veterans would talk to other veterans. One of the reasons why I think the Legion, one of its useful functions is that it did give people who had experienced that kind of thing an opportunity to talk to other people because lots of people didn't want to bring it home, i.e. over the threshold to where their families were because I think it was perhaps a version of themselves in those stories they didn't particularly want others to see. Or maybe it was just too violent and awful. Or maybe, you know, there are different ways of doing it, aren't they? But my experience has been that whether you check that at the door or not, it leaves its mark. One of the most powerful encounters I had in ministry was with a guy who had been in a conflict and 30 years after that conflict in which he killed someone, was haunted by it. And that's one of the things that stayed with me. And that leads me on to another question. I wonder whether you view it as as kind of a comic novel or actually something rather more serious. I don't draw distinctions between comedy and tragedy. I think, again, another perhaps thing that comes readily to parish clergy is that um, to divide the world up along those lines seems 
Um, it's tragic comedy, I suppose. I don't know. Yeah. Yes. It's just it's interesting, isn't it? When there's when there's murder involved, you don't want it to be too cosy, or else you know. Um... Well, no, it's interesting. A cosy crime is something of a misnomer, I think, because murder is not cosy. It's the whole point of it, in a way. I suppose the coziness is the world that the murder disrupts, and maybe the world as it's returned to coziness afterwards, all being well. But of course, like anything, I mean, I just know, you know tragedy. You know, you spend a lot of your time as parish priests with cops and medics and funeral directors yeah. and, you know, the sort of uh, you know, humour or comedy and tragedy just are so closely intertwined that yeah. you pick that up. Also, I think it's a way of dealing with it, isn't it? It's a yes. way of keeping a necessary detachment. I remember when I was in a very solemn funeral once, in fact, it was David's funeral, my past funeral, and I was in the car with the undertaker, so I worked with all the time, and the normal banter of clergy and undertakers was all switched off and quite properly because yes. it was David's funeral. And there was a bit where a, an ambulance went past with its siren going, and one said to the other without thinking, oh, they're playing our tune. <laughs> <laughs> and it did just remind me of the sort of normal state yeah. of affairs. Yes. And were you able to laugh at the time? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'm just wondering as well, um, when you set about writing a novel, whether there are particular novelists that you admire or um, wanted to emulate in any way, or did you did that not even cross your mind? Well, it's dangerous, that, isn't it? Because for a start, you might set yourself an amazingly high hurdle to jump or standard to reach. So I deliberately didn't read anybody or anything of similar kind while I was doing it, because I didn't want, as I tried to find my own voice doing that, and someone else's to intrude, I suppose. Yeah. But my, I mean, I mean, the golden age of crime I love, and especially, funnily enough, I, it's obvious, but I hadn't noticed it, it doesn't point it out to me. Um, I like women writers, crime writers particularly. Marjorie Allingham is one of my favourites. Naya Marsh, Dorothy L. Sayers, of course, P.D. James. And that's interesting, I wonder why. But I like, I mean, I also love, I love the Jack Reacher books. I love Rebus. I like them. Quite Catholic taste, I think. Right, right. I wonder back to the women if it's something to do with, um, I mean, again, huge generalization, but a lot of women novelists perhaps spend a little bit more time getting under the skin of characters. I don't know if that's so, if that's too much of a generalization. I don't know. Perhaps that's right. I don't know. I saw we were talking, I was doing a, been doing a documentary with Alan Carr about Agatha Christie. They're both enormous fans of Agatha Christie. Yeah. And we were comparing the merits of Poirot and Marple. We both prefer Marple. Yes. And I think it's because one of the things I love about Marple, and I'm sure this is something I've carried over into my own stuff, is she's overlooked. She's a little yeah. old lady yeah. and people yeah. don't take her seriously. Yes. But actually, she's the cleverest, shrewdest, bravest person in the room. Yeah. Yes. And that fascinates me. That I knew yeah. someone like her anyway, before I was ordained, actually, in a village I lived. And she'd, she'd been in service all her life. And then she lived in a state cottage and she lived in the same place all her life, and she looked out at the same 200 souls every day. And she was as smart as a whip and yeah. never missed yeah. a trick, just because she knew how to concentrate. Yes, interesting. And, and well, some of that is, is clearly carried over into Daniel. He's very unassuming, isn't he? And, and, and a bit reticent, but he sees yeah. it all happening. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's um, I mean, everyone says, oh, is it you? Is it you? Because nothing like me at all, um, apart from having Daxons and a feisty yeah. mother, I think. <laughs> But uh, no, he's not like me at all. He's much more diligent than I am. He's much more self-possessed, I think, than I am. And he's not a drama queen either. Right, right. And he's more buttoned up than I am. And uh, I, I, I'm interested in people who are buttoned up. 
I, I think he is quite buttoned up. I think that's, yeah, that's yeah. how he comes across. But I mean, people always ask novelists um, about autobiographical elements. Um, and you yeah. talked about the dogs and I wonder, you know, the big house. I mean, you obviously um, know the Spence as well. Um, and there's a reference to a famous glamorous church, which I'm assuming is St. Paul's Knightsbridge, you know, where, um, you know, next to a hotel or whatever. I mean, you're bound to mine your own life, aren't you? You are. It would be a very rash person who... Um, put too readily real people into fiction, I think, because characters in fictions take on lives of their own. And in fact, one of the characters in the book was at least at first visually based on a parishioner of mine. And then I realised as the action went on that he was not like this parishioner at all. And then events took a turn which might have been quite difficult for this person to read. So I've had to explain all that in right. Right. And In fact, only the physical resemblance remains. Right. But... Um, I suppose it's it's you of course you put yourself in it. But it is interesting how I mean, you know, it's my first go at fiction, and one of the things you discover is you have to sustain a universe, really, and in it people do different things and events take their course. And it's never what you think it is, actually. So that was very interesting. It's quite su surprising. It's much harder than I thought. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, how long did it take you? I mean, I don't imagine you wrote it in one block, but I wrote it in two chunks. I mean, I got most of the way through it, and then David died, so I couldn't concentrate at all. And then I wrote a book about about David about and bereavement. And then once I was sort of a bit less all over the place, I sort of picked it up again. Yeah, yeah. So it had a complicated genesis, rather like Wagner's ring cycle. Right. <laughs> I like the comparison. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and um, it says at the beginning of my copy that it's a Canon Clement mystery, as if it's part of a series. Is this very much the idea? Anyway, number two is well underway, actually. Right, yeah. right. And it's and fun. To, I think you, re you write your first lot. I mean, no one, I suppose you could do creative writing courses and all that, but the only way you... It's the same with any kind of writing. The only way you learn it is by doing it, actually. Yeah, yeah. And um, it's different being it the second time around, enjoying it, actually, enormously. And are you a disciplined writer? Do you have writerly habits of X hours or X words a day? Uh, not really. I mean, I, I'd love to tell you that I have a, a small, a comfortable shed at the bottom of the garden in a leafy glade where I repair after breakfast. No, I write on an iPad and a keyboard on the train in a restaurant, on bed, wherever. So, but I do keep it coming. I mean, I do think if there's any, we well, would never give it, you know, presume to give advice to a writer, but I think the point of writers is to write. So you're just going to keep, keep writing. I'm doing it, yeah, yeah. And are you able to say anything about the next one or are you keeping that a, a, a secret for now? Parish reorganisation has happened. Yes. with surprising effects right right okay <laughs> yes that that was hinted at at the end and was looking as if it was going to be pretty uncomfortable for people um okay yeah. um and i mean is this you know have you got a sort of book deal where it's a sort of five book deal or is it wait and see what three happens? book deal okay uh, and then we'll see what happens but uh in my my fantasy existence now is to live in quiet retirement in sussex write a book a year and then i don't know take the Queen Mary or something to New York <laughs> for the opera. But you're far too busy for that by the sounds of things with, with herring up and down, taking trains places. I know, it is a bit crazy. It's that thing, isn't it? You'd be so busy in retirement. Because I've just retired from, from one of the things I did. But it is the biggest thing I did. And it's yeah. very weird 
being not the vicar in the yeah. place I live now. I try very hard not to wear a dog collar. I mean, if I'm doing a churchy thing, I wear a dog collar, but I don't. I try not to walk around wearing a dog collar because I feel that I'm trespassing on David's patch, and he does an exceptionally good job of it, and it would seem presumptuous of me to do that. Yeah, but nonetheless, I imagine you're quite widely recognised, are you, when you do wander the... Go yeah, yeah. yeah. People, yes. when people sort of relate to me like a vicar. And how is that? I mean, that's slightly different when you are in role and now you're not. Is that is that proving a, an adjustment? It's so difficult, isn't it? Because if people come up to you and vicar you, you vicar back. Um, it's finding my feet being a sort of minister without portfolio, I guess, is the thing. And I've got a plan about what I'm going to do. I'm hopefully, well, I'm, uh, I've started the process of getting some clearances so I could do some prison ministry, which is something I've I've done before and I'd like to do again. So, yeah, I, want, I wondered that. Is that where you think the main focus of your retired ministry will be for the first next chapter or, or have you got a number? Yeah, I'm going to help out a friend who's got a parish down the road and I'll, you know, help out there. But it, I think, you know, anyone who's had any contact with the criminal justice system will be aware that any effort you can bring to support it and inmates and prison officers and their work would be very welcome, I think. And is there a prison nearby? Sorry, obvious question. Yeah, Lewis Nick is yes. nearby, and uh, Ford isn't very far away either. So, yes, the, the growth area, of course, prisons. <laughs> yes, and not in a good way. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And what about your media work? Is that uh, as busy as ever? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, carry on with Saturday Live, which has become a sort of regular discipline as the Eucharist in a way. Yeah. Um, so that's that's carried on. I'll do that for as long as the BBC wants wants me to do it. And then I've got a documentary about grief coming out on Channel 4 at the end of the year called Good Grief about bereavement. And then I've got a couple of things coming, I think a podcast coming up and, and various. I'm just, I'm very busy for the rest of this year and I've taken a decision to the first six months of next year, I'm going to do as little as possible yeah. Yeah. because I think you need to just settle and, yeah. you know. Yes. But, yeah. Did you go on one of those um, pre-retirement courses that some dioceses offer? No, 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 nothing like that. No, no. It's a strange business because leaving a parish anyway is like ripping the roots of plants out of the ground, isn't it? But yeah. combined with not starting somewhere new, I think must be quite hard. We saw it the other day. I was on the road and I had to pick up. I was coming back from Nottingham where I had a thing. I had to pick up my dogs from my brothers and I put in Satnab and it took me through Finden. So I drove through the parish two weeks earlier I had left. I mean, the Satnab almost had a kind of muscle memory in a way of trying to direct me back to the vicarage. But yeah. I didn't, I mean, I was tempted to go and have a look, I suppose. But I thought, no, I mustn't. I'm not, I am without portfolio and I, yeah. and I, and I must pass on through. But it's difficult, partly also because you know, you don't just unplug yourself. Yeah. I'm part of the life of that place and it's part of my life. And uh, I, and I loved it. And uh, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm missing it and I will yes. miss it. But I couldn't do what I want to do and do that as well. No, no. And I think there's a, I think there's a grieving process, isn't there? I mean, there is with many jobs, but particularly with ministry, I think, you know. Yeah. And outstanding stuff. I mean, people who the story continues, but it's not yes. going to be one I'm part of. Yeah, yes. Not feeling really. And and will you be replaced at Finden? Yeah. No pastoral reorganization going on there, right? Well, who knows? But no. uh, we've done everything we can to make a um a smooth and swift succession yeah. um as likely as possible. 
And are you accepting invitations to go back or, is it, or are you trying to sort of keep that distance? I'm going to keep it distant for a bit, I think, and then in the fullness of time. Yep. OK. Um, is there anything else you'd like to say about the book? I suppose, part, I mean, the interesting one I said for, for Church Times readers, it would be, it's really interesting because I did a Sky Book Club the other day and it was all a panel of young women readers, none of whom had any church connection at all. And it was just very interesting the way they kind of understood or misunderstood or didn't get at all the churchy stuff, which yeah. for kind of church people is just our daily bread, isn't it? Yes. That's the really interesting thing about fiction, about crime fiction in particular, is that you have it in your head and you see the pieces on the board, maybe it makes the metaphor, but actually writing it down to your own satisfaction does not necessarily mean... The interesting thing with readers, lots of readers didn't get it was 1988 until some distance through and thought, this is so clever of you to drip feed that. I thought, well, I wasn't aware I was being clever at all. I just didn't put at the beginning, it is 1988. No, I, I have to say, I wondered, it took me a little while to work out exactly where we were. And I, I wondered if there'd been a deliberate reason not to, not to anchor well, it. Well, not at first, but then I think I was quite like that because, you know, and I have done, you know, you can look up what was on telly or something yeah. and put that in and there's your, your kind of anchor point. But actually it's much more about, mood feeling what it felt like yes. and trying to recall in 2022 what it felt like to be in 1988 was fascinating yes and of course your young readers would you know that's ancient history isn't it but i do think the weirdness i can't bear all these things when you go to a, a historical site and they try to make it kind of relevant or accessible i would rather history were properly inaccessible yeah. because that's exactly what it is yeah. so try the inaccessibility of history is something um i keep and i don't like i don't like it when you go to exhibitions and they have an audio guide i don't want people helping me i want the weirdness to make me yeah. work yes now i know just what you mean so yeah. do your does your editor get you to try and explain some of the churchy stuff or was that in any sense a, a sort of a, a tension and he quite liked it, I think, because he thought it gave it a sort of grain and a, uh, and it, I suppose it does. He was more, he was just, he was just me going on, really. He was saying it would be very nice if we could have a murder after a while. Oh, yeah, OK, fine. Um, so it was that sort of technical stuff that he was really good at. No, he quite likes the grain and the, the tackle and the trim, as you might say. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yes. And um, the obvious, you know, the obvious person you'll be compared with is, is you know, the Grantchester novels. Was that, were they in your mind at all at this time? I mean, they must be because I like them so much. And I'm a big fan and a friend of James Runson. I call myself a friend. I hope you would think that not un, un, improper. We, I like him very much. But it's not the same thing, partly because his period is different. And yes. also, and I think this is an important difference, Jane writes as a very shrewd and thoughtful outsider but someone who knows clerical life really well because he grew up in it whereas i think i'm i'm interested in writing about a priest from the inside yeah. and i think that's different and the period's different although i don't know maybe maybe james will catch up but by then you'll have um, moved on <laughs> well, well sydney will probably yeah. be the archbishop of canterbury won't you we'll yes with a bit of luck um and then yeah. intervene when daniel does something that he's not supposed to except he won't because he's very he's very well behaved by and large don't you think he's he's very good your daniel Yes, but there's, um, I'm very interested, this is perhaps for the future really, but I'm very interested in how the virtue of the good can sometimes be turned um, through uh, malevolent powers into their downfall rather mm -hmm. than their salvation. 
And you often see that, I think. People are wrecked by their goodness, not their badness. Yeah, yes. Whereas at the moment in this book, there's very much, it's a sort of triangle with him and his mother and Theo, isn't there? And, and they're sort of all performing different roles. And he's, yeah. Sort of, yeah, yes, he's got to be good in that context, particularly. Um, yeah. Well, I think it's useful for someone who is a good, diligent parish priest. You do need to have someone on your team who'll do the things you can't do. You know, yes. good cop, bad cop. Kind yes, of stuff. yes, and get in and say the inappropriate things or whatever. Um, yeah, or just sort of say, you know, this is all very well, but we do need to make, to do something. And I think anyone who has been, I think, Audrey, it's very common with wives or mothers of clergy to encounter a certain exasperation <laughs> with yes. the um, diligence that parish priests in the days when they were all men perform their functions. Yes. Oh, I like your bishop, by the way. <laughs> Oh, do you? <laughs> yes. He's a bit of an ideal bishop. Yes, yes, yes. Um, I'm sure you're, the various bishops you've encountered will be reading that carefully because people, will be, <laughs> whether you like it or not, they will be looking for themselves in your book, I'm afraid. I, I mean, they're, going to be, they're really going to be disappointed because there's <laughs> only one, I mean, Audrey might bear a passing resemblance to my own mother, but, um, but that's, about but that's the only, yeah. yeah. No, it's a strange thing. It's it, people can't seem to help themselves um, when it comes to, um, you know, assuming that about novelists. What they seem to forget is that actually the point of being a novelist is you get to make things up. Um, yeah, that's you know not always. There was somebody, one of the characters in it. There's somebody who has thought thought that he might be one of the characters in it. And when I said, "But he's nothing like you," he said, "But he's got my hair colour." <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a very in-depth reading isn't it? <laughs> yeah, brilliant that's great fantastic well thank you very much Richard I pleasure thanks Sarah yes. well thank you very much nice to talk to you good to talk to you thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Church Times podcast you can find more news analysis comment and book reviews on our website churchtimes.co.uk if you are not yet a subscriber to the Church Times you can try your first 10 issues for just £10. You'll get the paper delivered to your door every Friday, plus full access to our website and digital archive. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash subscribe to find out more.